to keep death daily before our eyes. So declared St. Benedict centuries ago, keep death daily before our eyes. In St. Benedict's day, that rather closed world of the 6th century, perhaps one needed a daily reminder of one's mortality or a word of comfort in the midst of the ever-present gruesomeness of human affliction and death. But no more, I have never thought of CNN or the New York Times or our relentless 24-hour news cycle on television and the Internet as particularly Benedictine institutions. But it does seem that they have heard St. Benedict's plea. They keep death daily before our eyes. Slip a peek at any media outlet, print or electronic, and you won't have to wait long for a story about death. Impending death, unnecessary death, incomprehensible death, unrelenting death, death so daily before our eyes that we have become numb, no longer able to feel its impact, no longer able to grieve, no longer in touch even with our own need to grieve those we have lost. Death is out there. It's out there in all of its ugliness in all of its shapes and forms. In years past, of course, we, we might have talk and, talked about death in faraway places, death in Syria or Iraq, the horrific deaths recently in Haiti, deaths on the street of Paris, death in Orlando with a vividness that is seared into our imaginations, death has come home to us. Death on the streets of our cities, death on the campuses of our colleges and universities, death in those safe places where such things are not supposed to happen. Death with all its blatancy. It comes to us like an intruder in the night, leaving us with fears and scars too deep for words. But often there is death that is much closer to home, the death of a loved one, a spouse, a parent, a brother, a sister, a child, the death of a friend, the death of a neighbor or a fellow parishioner, the death of one we do not know, but we know well the ones who survive, the ones who are hurting, the ones whose lives have been torn by the tragedy of death. In the church, we spend a great deal of our time dealing with death. It's one of those things we're good at. 
one of life's realities to which the gospel speaks clearly and distinctly. Funerals and grief work is so common to some of us that we lull ourselves into believing that we are strong and that we are untouched and unmoved by it all. Then a death occurs that shakes us to our core. The death of our beloved. The death of a child. The death of one we greatly admired, even if at a distance. In today's reading from Ephesians, the apostle calls upon the church to prepare itself for the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints in light. It is God, teaches the apostle, whose power was at work when Christ was raised from the dead. We can ache and grieve over those we love who are tragically lost in death, but what extraordinary joy comes when we claim the promises of resurrection. In the face of deep grief, claiming those promises is hard work, sometimes elusive. It often takes time. But the day will come when the comfort of those promises settles into our souls as the deepest sort of joy transforming power to turn our sadness into joy, our grief into hope, our poverty of spirit into resiliency is the power of resurrection. Today's gospel is Luke's version of the Beatitudes, more familiar to most of us in their longer form in St. Matthew's gospel. Cast as woes as well as blessings. St. Luke's point here, like his point in so much of his gospel, is to proclaim in very practical terms the reversals we experience as daughters and as sons of the crucified in the power of resurrection. You see, for St. Luke, it is an exercise in turning everything upside down. If you are poor now, you will be rich then. If you are hungry now, you will be filled then. If you cry now, you will laugh later. If you are rich now, you've had yours already. If you are full now, you're going to be hungry later. And on and on he goes through the list. And Jesus doesn't stop there. Love your enemies, he says. Now there's a reversal possible only by the power of resurrection. Everyone knows in the ways of the world we are to hate our enemies. We're to crush them, snuff them out. Do good things to those who hate you? Oh, sure. Bless those who curse you? Yeah, count on it. Pray for those who abuse you? Surely you're kidding. No, friends, Jesus is not kidding at all. These are the resurrection reversals, those things about the coming kingdom that are just the opposite of what you might think at first. Because as St. Luke sees it, this is a new world being born. 
a new idea being hatched, a new age coming to a climax in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. These great reversals and the promises inherent in them for the living of our lives are possible because God has provided the last word on reversals. Jesus, who was crucified, is risen and alive forever. In the world we inhabit, dead people are supposed to stay dead. That is the world of our human experience. But glory be to God who is resurrection and life, dead but alive forevermore. And that reversal is the change at the heart of all things that makes possible all of the other reversals in our lives and invites us to embrace the ways of Christ that seem so impossible on the surface. You see, once one has caught a glimpse of resurrection, then loving one's enemies, doing good to those who hate you, blessing those who curse you, Praying for those who abuse you is not only not a stretch, but it begins to make sense as a deep and profound way to live in fellowship with Jesus. Yesterday at Nate's ordination to the priesthood, my colleague and friend, the preacher for yesterday, used a story And he got about a sentence into that story, and I wanted him to stop because it's the very story I had put in my sermon for today. And so I was sitting out there while he was telling the story and thinking, I can't use the same story in Calvary's pulpit in two days in a row. But then I thought, well, now wait a minute. Let's think about this biblically. St. Luke tells the stories of Jesus to make one point. And St. Matthew and St. Mark and St. John tell the same story to make a different point. So why shouldn't I? Telling the same story for a different purpose is biblical. So here goes. It's a story of one familiar to you. I'm sure you've heard it a million times, but... A good story that does its work can never be told too often. Story of a Native American grandfather who was out on a walk with his grandson. And as they were walking along, the grandfather asked the boy how he was doing. What's going on in your life, son? And the grandson replied, Well, I feel as though I have these two wolves fighting in my chest fighting for control of my heart. And one of those wolves is angry and violent and vengeful. And the other wolf is loving and caring and compassionate and good. He asks his grandfather, which one of these wolves will win the fight for my heart and soul? 
And the wise old man said, the one you feed. A telling story, friends, for us to contemplate these days. As we are force-fed so much of the rhetoric, so much of the garbage, really, of the relentlessness of it all, I can't help but wonder if there's not a resurrection reversal that will reboot our commitment to that most fundamental of American values, the pursuit of the common good. In the public square these days, as we march toward the election, which wolf will we feed? Friends in Christ, we have come through the autumn shadow of Lent. From the Feast of the Holy Cross on September 14 to our little Easter in the fall to the Feast of All Saints. So that we can pause again to remember and celebrate the victory of Christ over death and remember those who have entered already into the more immediate presence of their Savior. For centuries, the Feast of All Saints has been one of the principal baptismal feasts of the church because it echoes for us near the halfway point between last Easter and next Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, the fulcrum of our faith upon which everything depends. Today is a time to be reminded in a vivid way of all that is possible for us as people of faith, people who are committed and who live our lives, in our lives, the reversals of the resurrection. You know, a friend of mine reminds us that holy baptism is not just something that happens to you, it is something that you spend the rest of your life trying to survive. Baptism is a precious gift but it is also a radical move on God's part that we all spend a lifetime trying to come to terms with. To live the baptized life is to take one's place in that great tradition of the saints of God of every time and place. To live the baptized life is to risk being transformed. It is to invite change in your life. It is to always be on the lookout for a reversal made possible by the resurrection. Enemies becoming friends, hate becoming love, curses becoming blessings, and death giving way to life. That, my dear friends, is why we keep all saints. That is why we pause at the end of autumn's little Lent to remember those among us who have died, who have walked this pilgrimage with us. We remember those who have left us memories and stories to tell, those who introduced us to the realities of life's deep pain, and those who show us how to dance and celebrate life's ecstasies. We remember today those who taught us how to be us by their vulnerability 
at being them. We remember and we rejoice because we dare to believe that the resurrection makes things different. That the way things have always been need not be the way they always will be. And it is to that end that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and that Christ will come again. And it is to that end that we dare to welcome Violet into the covenant of grace. Amen.